When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. We are on episode 89. Today, we are going to talk about both Saturday and Sunday's games. We're going to do the entire weekend recap today, and then tomorrow we're going to do something new, just trying to go through uh, more fine points and things like that uh, regarding each team and the games and what's coming for the coming week. Before I get into that, I wanted to say a little bit about our sponsor, Sideline Swap. Best place to buy and sell lacrosse gear, hard-to-find college gear, pre-owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more, up to 70% off retail, list gear, collecting dust in your garage, and Sideline Swap sends you a prepaid label when it sells, and it is also available on iOS and Android. Go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below. And as always, you can support us beyond that by going to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself t-shirts, hats, other swag related to the podcast or not, just t-shirts relating to lacrosse in general, and you can support us that way, and be sure to hit the like button, like crazy, like, 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 and uh, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all that good stuff. So the very first game I wanted to talk about was my favorite game of the weekend, and it's not the one that you think it was. I'm not going to talk about Syracuse first as much as I want to. Penn State Cornell, hell of a game down in North Carolina. And Cornell, one of the keys to the game that I had said for Cornell was trying to win faceoffs. They they had gotten smoked by Ohio State and Inacio the week before. And if they played a similar game to that, and if they came out and got smoked by Arsarian company uh, in, in Penn State, they were going to lose this game by a margin. They did the opposite. They came out. They dominated the faceoffs in the first half. Arceri struggled. He ends up uh, getting not benched, but they end up bringing in his reserve, and he actually played a little bit better. He still got smoked a little bit initially, but he ended up playing a little bit better. One of the problems with Penn State is early on they were winning draws. They just weren't winning possessions. They were getting the draws and then not getting the ball into their offensive end. Um, once Penn State started winning some faceoffs in the second half, then that's where the comeback came, and, and this ended up being a close game. But if they didn't fix that face-off disparity, Penn State of all teams, then this was going to be an ugly game in Cornell's favor. Cornell's offense was stupid efficient early. Canise could barely make a stop overall. Everyone for Cornell was in on the action, and I saw 10 different goal scorers score over the course of the first half. So that was pretty crazy. Teat was letting the game come to him. One of the things with, with Cornell's um, uh, squad kind of being built around T and they're starting to fill in well offensively around T is that it's letting the game come to T. So similarly, I think to how we saw Sowers last year trying to carry that Princeton offense completely. And then, then that puts you in a situation where if teams can come out and they can stop you now, your the rest of your team is screwed. Cornell's offense is is seeing a similar uh, a similar thing to what Princeton is seeing now. Is even where Teat or Sowers aren't playing their best or aren't being productive in those moments, there's other guys that are stepping up and putting up points. So that has been huge for Cornell uh, so far in this run that they've been on here because the, the, just the fact that other guys are scoring, guys like Piatelli. 
Teat was three and three on the day. Billy Coyle, he ends up putting up a career high three goals. Petrakis two and zero. Donville two and zero. Piatelli two and zero. And Piatelli continues. He didn't have a huge. Uh, output in this game, but he continues to impress me in his dodging. He hasn't just continued to be an off ball attackman. He's been catching the ball on his right wing over there, and he's been comfortable and has looked really good trying to dodge into space, trying to get into the middle of the field and get shots off. So that's huge for Cornell that he's doing that. And then once again, guys like Connor Fletcher, who are just kind of getting that dummy dodge, getting slides drawn. He's not putting up a bunch of points with just one and one in this game. And I don't think he's put up more than two or three points in any game this season, but guys like Connor Fletcher, watch out for them. Michael Long, the freshman one and four in this game. So Cornell, they have a lot of guys that are able to score goals defensively. Salvatore and company, they've done well. The fact they were able to figure it out at the faceoff dot, that's going to be scary for the Ivy and everybody else. Erlin was solid in cage with 17 say, or no, he wasn't solid in cage. Six saves uh, versus 17 goals against. So he looked rough, but in fairness, both goalies, goalies looked rough. Uh, Kinesse wasn't much better. Nine saves versus 18 goals against for him. For Penn State, the story, as we keep saying with them, is they have to have possession. Once they start getting possession of the ball, they start scoring. You cannot stop their offense. You can only hope to contain them by not letting them have the ball. And that is how Cornell jumped out to a huge lead in this game was they won the possession battle, even where Penn State was trying to clear the ball off faceoffs. You know, Cornell was pesky and 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 didn't let them get the ball from the midfield or from their defensive end to the offensive end or from the midfield to the offensive end. So Cornell did a great job disrupting uh, Penn State's offense by simply not letting them have the ball. Malone was four and one, Jack Kelly three and one. O'Keefe three and one, um, Amet was zero uh, and five. You know, so everybody showed in the end for Penn State as they tried to make a game out of this. But it was a, a great game out of Corn, uh, Cornell, and uh, just a ridiculously good job by the midfielders of Cornell, especially at the faceoff dot, to try to even this one up. Okay, got a bunch of sniffles here that I'm fighting through today. I almost didn't do a show today because I was so stuffed up. Next game I wanted to talk about was Mighty Virginia. Uh, defending national champion uh, Virginia. They're having struggles so far here. They drop another one, this time to Brown by a score of 14-13. At one point, Virginia held an 8-2 lead in this game. They were rolling, and then Brown closed out the first half with two goals to get it to 8-4 at the half in favor of UVA. And then Brown came out and scored the next five goals of the the first five goals of the second half to take a 9-8 lead. Seven goal run in all for Brown as they were down uh, 8-2, end up taking a 9-8 lead. Then the score, it goes back and forth from there. Brown took a two-goal lead with 43 ticks. They score on an empty netter right off the next faceoff. UVA score, uh, Matt Moore scores off the next faceoff. So back to a one-goal game with about 43 ticks left, or no, like 37 ticks left or something like that. Virginia wins the ensuing faceoff. Schwenk wins the next one. UVA gets a timeout. They've got the ball with 25 seconds left. And on Matt Moore's ensuing dodge, he falls down, turns the ball over ball game. Moore went seven and three in this game. Rode had 17 saves. He looked good. Uh, Augavin, I, I don't even know how to pronounce that name for Brown. He goes three and one. Brown had a lot of guys chip in and, and play well. Phil Goss was the story for Brown. He played incredible in cage for Brown on the day. 16 saves for him and Virginia struggling. I, I still think they're going to be okay. You, no one wants to play Virginia come tournament time, but defensively, They've been able to put points up in bunches, but they are giving points up in bunches, and that creates offensive lulls where the offense just doesn't see the ball or they or they turn the ball over a lot. You know, UVA has been prone to turning the ball over as well. So that's that's tended 
to hurt them a little bit. Now, I get to my favorite team here, the Syracuse Orange. They were playing Johns Hopkins. Where do I have this stupid thing here? Oop, I didn't bring the Syracuse game up, oddly enough, so we're going to do that right here. So, Cuse goes into Hopkins and waxes them. They're, I think at one point they were up seven, not th- they were up a lot. And they, even though the score ends up being a semi respectable 15 to nine, it wasn't really that respectable, especially not in the first half. Chase Scanlon, he gets off for five and one. Trimboli, uh, he goes for four and one. Dordovic, three and oh. Curry, two and oh. So once again, that first midfield line of Syracuse, nine goals of their 15 in this game. Uh, uh, they actually double polled the mid, uh, the uh, attack line at one point and uh, left Rafis with a shorty Rafis he you know he ends up going for seven assists on the day so that's not too bad and uh, Jared Fernandez he gets an assist in the game so he, he I think he went through pretty much not putting up any points through his career and I think he's one and one now already at this point Drake Porter looked excellent in cage especially early Syracuse faltered quite a bit in the second half turned the ball over in the second half and Porter let up a couple more goals in the second half that in the first half he was stopping but Porter looked great in the cage for Syracuse bright spots for Hopkins because right now Hopkins fans are really down but uh bright spots for Hopkins is Murphy look good again three and one Baskin two and one Cole Williams still anemic one and oh he has a hard time if he doesn't have somebody else creating for him Epstein oh and one he look he he does not look like himself I heard in the telecast they were talking about him being at 40 percent uh Syracuse Desco in one of the pregame press conferences he said that he had heard he, he was considering him at 50 percent so Epstein just not himself another bright spot though for Hopkins Darby looked good in cage Darby goes for 13 saves Versus the 11 goals against. So he actually looked pretty solid in the cage because Hopkins has been having a hard time defensively. They've been having a hard time in the cage. Hopkins has been having a hard time all over the field. So Darby looking good. Epstein at least being on the field, even if he is just a shell of himself, it's better than him not being there. But for Syracuse, a lot of people still calling Syracuse overrated because there's been other teams that have routed Hopkins by more than this. But I don't I don't think it's about that. I think one of the deals with Syracuse is they they play closer games than they typically should and they have for years. There was years where they ended up being the number one and the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. In those years, they had played tight games with Hobart or or Colgate and teams that typically you know couldn't hang with their stuff. Uh, even Binghamton has played Syracuse tough up in the dome at times. So I'm not worried about this. The big difference between a team like Syracuse, who has a, a, an incredible offense, a solid defense, and a solid goal score, and a UNC that has pretty much the same. UNC and Syracuse are built very much the same in the sense that right now they're both playing young defenses. Right now they both have solid goalies, except I'd give the nod to Cuse because they have a veteran goalie in cage. But both of them have the same amount of starting experience just about. Uh, offensively, they can both fill it up like crazy. They both have Twarton candidates on their on their team. I think Syracuse is a little deeper overall offensively, but North Carolina's got the better player out of all of them, I think, in Chris Gray. So I think the difference between these two teams is that Syracuse has been at this point and then has finished the season out strong uh, in past seasons. North Carolina has been at this point numerous times over the last four or five years and has not finished the season strong. So I think that's the big difference. Everyone complaining about why is North Carolina not in the top five? Why are they not number two, three, number one even? It's because they have to, they get here and they have, you know, they haven't played anybody. You can make the argument Syracuse hasn't either, but this is normal for Syracuse. This is normal for UNC. And from here for UNC is usually where it starts to go off the rails. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think UNC is going to probably finish a season a top five team. 
especially if they can start handling business once they get into the ACC. But uh, Syracuse, they're unequivocally number one. Once you get that number one ranking, if you keep winning, you keep that number one ranking. It doesn't go to anybody else. So that's just how that works. Another game that we saw this weekend was Denver. Denver coming off losses to ACC teams, both of them by two, both of them by the same uh, exact score. Uh, they finally get a win over an ACC team in Notre Dame at Notre Dame, 14-11. So that's their, I think, their first top 10 win of the season. Uh, for Notre Dame, they, they're they just struggling offensively. It seems they're a little bit midfield heavy in terms of their offense. Uh, Jackaboy's four goals, Costabile two and one, Willits two and one, um, Kavanaugh one and oh, so he's been quiet the last couple of games. Griffin Westland, uh, he's 0 and three. Entman struggled in cage, and at one point in that game in the telecast, uh, they were talking about how Ryder Garnsey was saying he thought Entman could be the best goalie in the country. Apparently, I don't, I don't agree with that. Entman is a solid goalie though, and he played good early, but it, it faltered down, down the stretch. Freshman goalie for Denver, Jack Thompson played really well, twelve saves in the game. Ethan Walker, he ends up with a six point game, four and two for Walker, so he played great. He, I believe, he had a hat trick to start the game and then got a little quieter as the game went on. Jungle Jack Hanna is making an argument for being a first-team uh, All-American at this point from the midfield for Denver. Jack Hanna has been excellent. The kid can do everything. He can dodge. He can shoot. He reminds me uh, – it's hard to say who he reminds me of. Kind of like a a, a perfect hybrid between Costabile and Aitken in the sense that he can dodge. He can dodge in space. And he can dodge with traffic around him, but he's got a cannon of a shot from outside. So I've been really enjoying watching uh, Jack Hanna play. I was a big fan of Jack Hanna last year just because he put up some points and he had a sweet name, Jack Hanna. For any of you who don't know, Jungle Jack Hanna is a famous zoologist or something. He does something with zoos. He's really just probably just a press guy for the zoos. It was always on uh, the late night talk shows with animals. But anyway... Denver gets this huge win, so that now they're four and two, and Notre Dame drops to two and two. Notre Dame's going to be okay; they're still going to end up being a top twenty team through the season, but they're just having a hard time. Notre Dame gets that late start too, uh, compared to everybody else. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another good game was the Duke-Loyola game. And actually, I say it was a good game. It really wasn't. I think Duke had an 8-0 lead at one point over Loyola. Uh, and the beauty here is we've been saying that they better watch out. That first midfield line is going to become the second midfield line for Duke. And that did happen. But what happened? The first midfield line that now became the second midfield line, they produced Montgomery goes three and one, Ledman two and zero, and I'm not sure. I forget who specifically is on that line, but Quigley zero and two, Montgomery three and one, Lowry zero and one. We actually didn't see uh, Caputo put points up in this one. Dyson Williams though continues to prove that he is Duke's best player. He goes four and one on a very efficient day. I forget his total shots, but I think he only took five shots, scores four goals. So that lefty finisher from. Canada has been incredible for Duke. And another good thing for Duke is Turner Upgren showed. Turner Upgren played well. He had been benched. He ends up getting in this game. 
and played really well. 15 saves off just 10 goals against. So Duke looking better. Duke continuing that trend of, hey, we're going to drop some games in February that we shouldn't. But now that March is here, we're going to try to handle our shit and uh, not lose and look terrible and things like that. As we go through other games, we had Princeton and Rutgers. And that ended up being quite quite the contest. I had said that it was going to be closer than people thought, and it was for a while uh, at one point, And actually, I have a pretty good set of notes on this one. Yeah, Rutgers did a good job of containing Sowers early, uh, at least over the first quarter and into the second. Uh, Princeton did a good job of proving that they can hang offensively without Sowers, where Sowers isn't putting up a ton of points where he's not. He doesn't end up carrying the ball to fruition in the sense that he's carrying, dodging, and somebody scoring a goal. They were able to just kind of do it themselves. Verdaro, three and one. McCarthy, three goals. Brown, two and two. They all factored heavily and all factored at key points. And uh, Sandoval, he had a killer game for Princeton at the faceoff dot with 19 uh, wins. After Rutgers tied the game up 6-6, six to six, Sandoval goes on and won the next six draws, allowing Princeton to play make it, take it through that stretch. And they extend that. Well, that it was a tie game. They, you know, change that to 7-6, 8-6, 9-6, and then end up, end up taking a 12-6 lead off the back of Sandoval just winning faceoffs and then the Princeton offense being efficient and scoring goals after. So Princeton and Rutgers ended up being a good game, 16-11 in favor of Princeton here. So Princeton is looking tough. Princeton is undefeated. And Michael Sowers, three goals and two assists. He was That's a pedestrian outing for Mike Sowers. Most players would be delighted to put up three goals and two assists in a game that they win. Sowers, I think we had the over-under for him set at eight and a half or whatnot. So he didn't he didn't uh, cover, but doesn't matter. That is a ridiculously good sign. Princeton is playing tough. Peters is playing good in cage. Defensively, they're turning, they're they're forcing turnovers, getting the ball upfield in transition. So Princeton has looked it's just incredible how much they've turned around. Uh, between last year and this year. But, you know, winning faceoffs helps a little bit. Uh, having a keeper in cage, it's playing solid. That's helping a lot. And then you just have Mike Sowers. Anything is possible from there. Hofstra and Ohio State. And faceoffs in the first half. Ohio State won out. They held a big lead. Third quarter, Hofstra started dominating the dot, and they got back in the ball game. Uh, they won five of seven over the third and four of six over the fourth quarter to make a game of this. Kersan was the difference in this game in the end, though, uh, for Ohio, Ohio State. He ends up with 19 saves in the net, so he played a really good game. 12 of those saves came in the second quarter as Hofstra started picking it up a little bit offensively. They started gaining some possessions, and uh, they started out shooting the Buckeyes. So there's only one penalty in this entire game also, but Ohio State pulls this out 12-10 on the back of, of Kersan in cage. He played really well. Duke. Oh, we already talked about Duke Loyola. So another game. Now we're just getting into rambling and I'm just going to kind of rip through the scoreboard here and see what, Oh, lost my browser. See what's up. Um, Georgetown. I believe Georgetown is still undefeated. They're coming off a win over Towson 16 to four. They beat Towson up. So they, I think they have UNC this week. So we have two unbeaten teams playing this week. Now, if, if this was the UNC of old, this is a game they're going to lose. If UNC is playing, is going to end up doing what they've done in the past, they would start six and zero, and then they would lose one of the you know first solid games that they get, and they would probably lose that game at home nonetheless. But uh, Georgetown being a very high scoring offense, and the big thing with Georgetown is normally they've had a high scoring offense, and their defense hasn't necessarily been up to snuff. But Owen McElroy has played tough in cage for them. Their defense has played really well, holding teams to under seven goals per game so far. Now, granted, they haven't played 
much of anyone yet, but their their defense is at least handling its business against the teams it should be. And uh, guys like Caraway, three and two. And um, let's see, where's our other? Oh, man. It's a little there. There's score sheet here is looking a little odd here. Uh, Bundy goes three and oh, Watson three and oh, Bucci two and one. But uh, Caraway is the big cat. He goes three and two in the game here. And Towson just didn't have an they didn't have an answer at all for that. Another game that was surprising to me was Maryland Albany. I figured that um, Albany was going to lose this game by a margin, three, four, five goals. I figured Albany would hang more than a lot of people thought they would against Maryland, but I did not think that they were going to come back from being down and kind of claw their way back and, and have this be a, a one-goal game to the point that you know Maryland has to you know pull out all the stops to win it. Wisnowskis, five and three. Uh, Jared Bernhardt, four and two. Maltz, three and oh. So all the usual suspects for Maryland, they factored. The key here is Albany was getting waxed early. Albany goes into his own defense and and so they got saves out of Sikursky. Sikursky ends up putting up 13 saves versus 14 goals against. So he played solid in cage as Albany was forcing Maryland uh, to, you know, try to attack against his zone defense. And it did its job. It caused Maryland to turn the ball over a little bit. DeHogan Nanakoke has been on fire lately. Another five-goal game for him. He goes 5-1. and one. Uh, Graydon Hogg goes 4-1. and one. Corey Yunker, 2-1. and one. So some of the young guys are, are chipping in here. But it's great to see DeHoga play well. And in the end, Maryland gets the win. Maryland improves to 5-1. and one. And Maryland has been kind of the cardiac kids this year. So they're the ones that have been playing everybody close for the most part. But Albany, it's a good sign for Albany. It's a really bad sign for the America East that Albany's back to playing well, that their defense is starting to gel, that DeHoga is starting to fuck people up. And uh, so that's going to be a bad sign because I think that now where I was thinking, ooh, Stony Brook, you know, they're really solid. UMBC looks nice. There was a couple of teams in the – America East that I thought, you know, were probably the favorites. And now I'm leaning back into thinking Albany may be the favorite is if Dehoga keeps playing this well, especially against quality opponents, what is he going to do to the America East? Not that the America East doesn't have quality opponents. Don't, don't take it that way. I'm just saying the top half of America East is great. The bottom half, not so great. Even Binghamton's been playing teams tougher though, which I've been surprised about. So either way though, great game for uh, Albany that they have to feel good about that. They wanted to go in and get that win. Don't get me wrong, but they have to feel good about how they played against a top opponent because they did. They they did well. Penn barely squeaks by St. Joseph's. They end up, you know, just these one-goal games. There's one-goal games everywhere, and St. Joseph's has proven to be a tough team. They've played some teams tough this year. Uh, they're 5-2, and two, actually. So Penn drops to 2-3 and three on the season. Goldner's 5-2, and two, uh, Gergar 4-0, and oh, Lully 1-2. Birkinshaw got his 58% in the cage, so he probably gets to breathe easy for another another game. Uh, he's not. If he had been under 40% in this game, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him get benched, but he played well against St. Joseph's and he kind of had to. So Penn sitting at two and three and that looks rough. But when you look at their schedule, they lost to Maryland. They beat Duke. They lost to Penn State. They lost to Villanova, who's, you know, beat some teams. And then they beat St. Joseph's by a goal. They have Princeton up next next week. The Ivy gets underway. Yale's at Cornell next week. And uh, Penn is at Princeton next week. So that's going to be awesome to see the Ivy League start beating on each other because we really need more of that. St. Joseph's, though, they're sitting here with wins over St. Bonnie's, a big loss to Penn State, but then they beat Delaware, they beat Providence, who's been solid, they beat Monmouth, they beat Drexel, and then they you know lose to 
pen by a goal. There's there's no there's no shame in that at all, though. And uh, let's see, who else do we want to talk about, guys? As we rip through here and we try to see the rest, Yale, Michigan, Yale came out, TD played awesome. Michigan made a game of it, and then Yale kind of separated. The problem that Yale has had is defensive midfield has been awful for Yale. Offensive midfield has been, I think, a little bit better than expected, but they still need a little bit more production there. This attack, as long as they can get the ball, is incredible. The problem is they just have to do a better job at getting stops on defense. That's going to be Yale's problem all year. They're going to win faceoffs and they're going to win a lot of them, but where they turn the ball over or just give the ball back to the other team, those other teams are scoring at a at a higher rate than they would like them to score. They need to start getting stops and that's all going to start with the defensive midfield. Star played this game. So Star got his starting job back. I don't know if he was injured or if he was benched. I'm not really sure. But he came in, played solid, 47%. He has 10 saves versus 11 goals against. Matt Goddett got off seven goals and a helper in this game. Brandau, 4-1. and one, Morrill, 2-4. and four. So once again, that, that starting attack for Yale. They are pimps. Uh, and the, the guy that I like the most on Michigan squad here is Zawada. I'm a big fan of Josh Zuwada. He goes two and three on the day to pace Michigan. Rocco Sutherland, three and one. Buck and Average, he's awesome, one and two. But uh, that Zawada kid, he's a freshman. He is going to be a really good lacrosse player. I would not be surprised if he's a Tawartan finalist by his senior year. I think the kid's that good, and I think he has that much potential. Zawada, big fan of his. And that is it. What we're going to do here moving forward is we're probably going to do the recaps and we'll probably start doing less games, but trying to dive a little bit more into just interesting things. The whole the whole kicker here is we're not going to do two recaps anymore. So this is the recap this week uh, today. Tomorrow, we're actually going to do a, a special podcast that's going to be devoted completely to naming the top five um, unsung heroes for a couple of teams. So I have a bunch of guys that I want to talk about that I think don't get enough respect. They're not talked about enough considering the high level that either they pl- they've been playing at so far this year or maybe they've been playing at their entire career. So I want to do that tomorrow. So tomorrow's video is going to be unsung heroes thus far in 2020. And we'll talk about five guys there. And then uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday, well, Wednesday, we'll probably put out a video uh, going through my own top 10. I'm going to do a top 10 and kind of talk about why I either agree or disagree with the rankings based on what I put together. Um, because I know a lot, it's a, it's a hotly contested thing because we have a lot of undefeated teams playing solid lacrosse right now. And we have a lot of people that think UNC is getting hosed. We have people that think Cornell should be number one, especially after this win over Penn State. But the kicker is that it rolls the way it does for a reason. And a lot more goes into it than just what's your record right now? And what have you done for us lately? Uh, there's a little bit of history that plays into it, a little bit of just timing uh, you know, that you'll end up seeing. Last year, for instance, we saw it where Towson was the number one team for a while just because of timing. And probably Towson last year was one of the worst number one team. Listen, Towson was a great team last year. Offensively, they were monsters. They have Brendan Sunday had a great season. Towson was a really good lacrosse team last year. They were not a team that was worthy of a number one ranking. It was just based on who they beat, when they beat them, and how everybody else had lined up because there was a lot of weird upsets in the beginning of the season. So I think we're seeing that now, but I think that they're, pro- for the most part, I think they're getting these rankings right. So I'll kind of compare my rankings to the polls and to Quint's top 20 as well. I'm just going to do a top 10, but that's that's what's in store this week. We have tomorrow um, top five unsung heroes so far this season. Uh, Wednesday, we'll do a breakdown of my top 10 and why. 
And then Thursday, we'll get into the setting of the lines and the weekend previews again, as always. So, hey, as always, be sure to check out our sponsor, Sideline Swap. You can go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below. Go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself hats, T-shirts, mugs, whatever to support the channel that way as well. And then, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and all that good crap. So come back tomorrow. Top five unsung heroes so far of 2020. Hoost is out.